So Kate, what is one thing you wish more executives understood better when it comes to building innovative and inclusive culture, especially in this hybrid or remote environment? Yeah, one thing is tough, but I'll say one. You know, leaders need to meet people where they are that not everyone wants to do it their way. And I know I even personally have to check myself on this, right? I think it may be fun to get people together and everybody must missing going out to dinner as a team, but in reality, not everybody does. And we really need to meet people where they are. And I love what the research talks about being curious to understand where people are. Love that. Karen, what are your thoughts on that? belonging is bonding, not blending. Here's what I mean by that. Very frequently, we have this wonderful intention that we're going to create these cultures of belonging as leaders. And when I start to dive into the research, and I'm about 500 one-on-one interviews in on this future of work topic, and a theme that shows up to me is What we often reward inside of teams and organizations is becoming masterfully adaptable. And by that, I mean, looking around at the people who you perceive are on the inside and have the access and are getting the promotions. And then you just try to show up like they do. And then you kind of blend in. And as a result, you know, you get the promotions to or the access or whatever that looks like. That doesn't work long-term. And when I dive into both the data that's coming out now and the research, I think this masterfully adaptable technique is showing up when I see things like the high percentage of underrepresented minorities who don't want to go back to the office because they feel they're out of the office politics if they're at home and they can be really more of themselves. And so I think it's important to understand that training people, you know, how to blend or rewarding blending in is not the same as belonging. I mean, belonging comes from, we share a bond. I feel seen and heard. We've created something together. We've survived something together. We've delivered something together. That is a bond and bonding that leads to true belonging is based on authenticity. Love, this is absolutely fantastic. This is great. Karen, you have researched and written several books, right, on this topic. Why do you think companies and leaders have then a hard time in building this kind of belonging culture, this kind of an inclusive culture in in forming these kinds of bonds? And then does it get more difficult because we are remote, because we are hybrid? The more we think we know, the more we get in our own way. And here's what I mean by that. If you get promoted up the ladder inside of your organization, in a way that reinforces to you that you have the playbook for success, right? You've got it all figured out. And now you just need to keep doing what you've been doing. And by the way, I mean, you've worked this hard and come this far. You want to be recognized and rewarded and seen that way, right? And so I think for all of us, the challenge is... How do we revisit our beliefs, long held, deeply entrenched beliefs about what work is, where it happens, when it happens, who does the work. And I think critically important is the role of a leader. 
I mean, if I believe that feeling valued or like I'm contributing as a people leader or a team leader or a strategic leader inside of an organization means seeing you in person and telling you what to do and then making sure you do it, this is a very difficult inflection point. So very often what holds us back is ourselves and our unwillingness to sit with the uncomfortable and to revisit the playbook for success. But then where's the first step, Karen, right? What is that first step that leaders need to take to build this type of a environment that you're talking about? Well, we started with the connecting with your values. I think the second critical piece is looking at training for and reskilling and resetting expectations for leaders. And when I think about, you know, what Kate has the opportunity to do in a transformational way that's of service, not just to Accenture's employees, but to all of the clients you serve. And I feel this way about my role at Salesforce is creating that cascading effect that says, let's create a community of leaders where we can have some of these conversations about what does leadership mean now? And what are our employees looking for from us to be able to do their best work here and also live their best lives? And then building some thoughtful training that happens in some micro moments around that along with regular check-in. And I also think, you know, create upside. You know, we all love to be rewarded. We all love to be recognized for great behavior. So, you know, elevating people who are demonstrating the behaviors that we wish to see in leaders now, very helpful. Great. Kate, I don't know if you have any other points you'd like to add there, especially on where can corporations get started, right? What are the first steps that even CHROs can take in order to create this kind of an environment? Yeah, I guess my where to start is to just start. I think oftentimes we wait until we have the perfect strategy or we've thought through every last unintended consequence or, you know, ensure that every single leader is bought into exactly what we want to do. And that's just not going to happen. And that's going to prevent us from moving forward. So I would say, really, where should people start? They should just start and experiment and course correct as needed in what's right for their company. But then what are some of the pitfalls, right? Because if they just get started, what I'm hearing is have that adaptability, be able to kind of quickly make the changes as needed. But as they go through that, what are some of the pitfalls that you're seeing or things that leaders may need to avoid or even as signals to identify as they go through this journey? Yeah, I'll start. And then Karen, welcome your perspective too. I think one of the pitfalls is just taking your eye off the ball, right? And there's two things I think about that. One is, you know, it's the age old actions speak louder than words. And I think, you know, we've got many leaders who say, hey, are you getting this email at an off time? You know, truly human moment. I don't expect you to respond right now. But then you actually have to not expect the person to respond right now. And so, you know, what you say and what you do have to be in alignment. I think that is one of the pitfalls. The other is around holding, you know, yourself as a leader, but also the company accountable. And especially in the diversity and inclusion space, you know, we, along with many other companies, have made all of our statistics public. 
right? And that is new in the last few years. And part of that is attracting talent, right? We want people to know that they are joining a diverse and inclusive company, but it's also about holding ourselves accountable, right? Because as we go out and make big statements, we publish our numbers to say whether or not we're going to achieve those statements. And I think that's one of the pitfalls is not holding ourselves accountable and ways to do it are to be very public about what you're looking to achieve. Well, and two that stand out to me, one is the grand gesture versus the five minute fix. And here's what I mean by that. We get the employee whole survey scores back or the net better off survey scores back or the great people leader scores back. And we think, oh, wow, things are so broken. And now we need a five-year, five-phase, $500 million roadmap, right? That involves lots of people and lots of time. Well, that's an overwhelming thought when we are already busy and we already have lots of things going on. And so I think what happens with the grand gesture is we struggle to get started because it feels so big relative to where we are. The five minute fix, and I write about this in Success From Anywhere says, what could you try in five minutes? And it might surprise you to discover, I mean, one five minute fix per day, just something you try quickly. I call it, you know, $5, five people, five minutes, ultimately creates momentum. You know, if something doesn't work, you haven't overinvested. Whereas in the grand gesture, we have to stay the path and declare victory, even if people know it wasn't victorious. The five minute fix says that didn't work. I didn't overinvest. I can move on. When it works, even a 1% daily improvement will more than double your progress in 72 days. So if I told you you could be twice as far 72 days from now, that feels more doable. And that's what I would say do the doable. The other one, as an extension of what you referenced, Kate, is the power of perfection. You know, we sit in our, you know, isolated leadership meetings and we're going to figure out this perfect plan before we roll it out to our customers or to our employees. And it reminds me of a story that's actually perfect for our topic here of innovation. And it was this, I mean, it might surprise you to discover that once upon a time when that instant cake mix was invented and brought to the market, it was an abject failure. <laughs> and here's why. When Betty Crocker rolled out the first instant cake mix, all you did was pour the mix. You know, you open the box, pour the mix in a bowl, you add water, stir it, put it in the oven. Sales were terrible, even though it statistically produced the perfect cake with the least amount of effort. So the researchers did what we were talking about here and they got curious. So they started asking questions of their target market consumers. And what they discovered was People didn't feel a sense of ownership and like they had invested in something worthwhile because it was a little too perfect. What the smart people at Betty Crocker did was pull that recipe back and make it so now you have to add the egg and the oil and maybe a little water and then mix it because it gave people a sense of ownership and co-creation. And I think about that. I mean, they figured out the way to make the perfect instant cake. And they made it so perfect that people rejected it because they couldn't see themselves in an ownership role. And I think about that. What could we revisit and give our employees and our colleagues an opportunity to have more of an input so that they feel greater ownership in the outcome that we create? When we roll it out and it's too perfect, we don't always see ourselves in it, do we? 
I love that. And I will never make an instant cake without thinking of that story again. Right. I'm very grateful for instant cakes. Exactly. And who isn't? But I just thought that was interesting. It was like they made it too perfect. And I just think it's so illustrative of what's happening right now. And your point of just start, it's like, just start. I mean, perfection is the opposite or the enemy of participation. 